0: Hi, Nick Vince here. This week on the Chattering Hour, I'm joined by music veteran of over 40 years and lovely bloke, G. Tom Mack. He's collaborated with some of the music greats such as Kiss, Carly Simon, Roger Daltrey, Robert Plant, Ice Cube, and M&M. We talk about his classic theme for the film The Lost Boys and the musical he's based on the film and so much more. Up next on The Chattering Hour, music veteran and Grammy Award winner G. Tom Mack. <music> And we're back with our special guest, G. Tom Mack. His music is featured in over 100 TV shows and 50 films internationally. And he won his first Grammy Award for the sampling of Cry Little Sister on Eminem's album Recovery. We talk about the cost of writing the Lost Boys musical, the new musical he's written during lockdown, and some amazing future collaborations. So let's get to it. Jared, thank you very much indeed for joining me here today. And you you say my name like it's
1: properly said. It is G-Tar Mac because nobody could ever in America ever pronounce my name properly. It was like, all right, when I came up with Gerald or Jerry. And I said no it's Gerard and then no and then somebody an american said no it's Gerard and I'm like oh bloody hell I'm just changing it to G Tom Mac it was just I mean it's as if my last name MacMahon MacNehan you know McMahon wasn't enough you know so my 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 uh, I had no idea that my name would be the demise of my career
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's funny once I, I'm Nicholas Vince professionally. I got married a few years ago, and Nicholas Berman Vince. We double-barrelled names. Oh, shame her on named. you! Anyway, go so on. Because <laughs> it just causes, causes endless confusion. Right now, speaking of names and going back, let's. I'd like to take you all the way back, if I may, to Birmingham where you were born. Uh, you were born, That's right. That? Yeah. That's you, right. Yeah. You left what when you were eleven years old? Yeah. 10, eleven, something like that. Yeah. So, and that must have been quite an upheaval because you moved to New York. I can't imagine two different. Well, it, it it was the. You know, my dad,
1: my auntie Peg, who first came over, and you know, she was very close with my dad, and they're Irish, my on the on the, from Dublin, and we basically, she said, oh, we should come over, much more opportunity here for the boys, meaning my brother and myself. So long story short, dad saved up all his money. Always, my dad was a big music freak and, you know, he loved, you know, he liked the Sonatas and all of that stuff, but was way into, you know, you know um, black music, you know, jazz and all that stuff as well. He had a wide peripheral of, of just music that he just loved, and, you know, including opera. And, you know, and he was a great, he was a great Irish tenor himself. So anyway, uh, we did. Yeah, it was quite a – it was a bit of an upheaval because we had no idea what America was like, and, you know, we'd seen it on the telly and got – but you don't know it until you're in it, Mm. right? So from Birmingham, as you know what that little industrial city was for many years, and, um, you know, we just kind of landed in New York for a bit, and then my dad's mate, who he – was a priest, uh, was in a a town called Wichita, Kansas. We were trying to make our way West. (laughs) Right. Without, without the wagon. And, um, but, um, we basically got to Wichita, Kansas because my dad got a good job there. And and this particular father, Wilson was his name. He actually had a radio program on every Sunday night, uh, you know, for the Catholics, if you will. So, but, And he used to have my dad on to sing, you know, a few Irish tunes and what have you, Rosa Chile and what have you. So we ended up there. And that's really the beginning of all things music for me. And, um, you know, obviously I'd go back to, go, you know, go back to England and, and you know, still had the connection there. More, more me as I got a bit older than my parents. They basically just continued on the path of Americana. But, uh, yeah, what an experience. But music was where it all started, in Wichita, Kansas. And lo and behold, there happened to be some really good musicians that were older than me, but that's where um, I was able to learn from really good players, played a guitar, and I uh, always had the voice. So it was, you know, wasn't that good then, but it got better. <laughs>
0: So it sounds as if you kind of like, you know, music was just in the family basically, and you just kind of absorbed it from like birth. And this was how you, you got into music. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good.
1: mum and dad always had music around the house. It was never like one kind of music. I mean, when I got into my thing, which was R&B and, you know, rock and all of that stuff, um, they embraced it. They weren't like, Oh, just not proper music, you know. They they were very, um, they got it, and right. that's to their credit. It, it, it was nice to get their support.
0: Right, right. And when did you first pick up a guitar? I was about twelve years of age, and um, I was about
1: eleven actually. But I, a, a mate of mine down, you know, uh, who I went to school with, had a guitar that he never used. It was just beautiful Gibson guitar, and I said, "May I have a loan of it?" And I had no idea what to do on it, but I was just picking out notes and I would be listening to a record or something and then just could figure out the melodies of what was going on, on just having no lessons whatsoever. And then this bloke down the road who I ended up being in a band with, he was about 18 years of age, and he basically said, hey, if you want to come down, I can show you some chords. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to sit down and do scales and all that stuff. I just wanted to learn really good, rock chords or whatever you know r&b and he was brilliant and um about a year and a half later i ended up being in a bat in his band at 14 and uh, they were all 18 19 and they were all really good but problem being is i you know i'm (laughs) it wasn't such a problem we were filling up the houses and i had a decent voice at that point we were just doing we were just rocking it and packing in all these clubs around the middle of you know kansas oklahoma and Mom and dad wasn't too pleased about that because I was always out late and then took took them forever to get me out of bed to school in the morning. So, but hey,
0: <laughs> they were tolerant. <laughs> so you're talking about school, so w- when did you finish formal education? Formal education? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a
1: really good question. Um I wouldn't say it was formal, but, you know, I certainly, uh, you know, went through, uh, I didn't go on to college. Um, I was fortunate enough at one point when I started to really get into music, I lived in Colorado, I moved, our band played all around the middle of America. And we ended up, I ended up in Colorado, being in another band, and I just happened to live across the road from Colorado University. And that's where there was a really good uh, music program, but I had no money to get into that. And um, basically, I go, this mate of mine just said, hey, go sit on this orchestration class it's in the piano rooms over there. Nobody will bother you. So I taught myself how to play piano. I mean, I got some books and just kind of, you know, with the help of some other players. So that was my next instrument. And I was really getting quite good on it. And I had, I was already, a, I could play the bass pretty well at that point. And there was a, uh, in the sort of what's called a five points area, which was the black area of uh, Denver. I used to go down and play an after-hours gig from eleven to four in the morning, and um, it was uh, quite an experience. I was the only white guy in the band, or for that matter, in the clubs. But I had, you know, I, I had soul on the bass, so that's how I got the gig. But I went to, I, I was sitting on his classes, and I was learning orchestration because I want, i didn't know how to read or write. I just wanted to know how I put all this stuff in my head if I've got to explain it to an orchestra at some point, which
0: came in very handy when I started to do film work. Right. Right. And so, and were you kind of writing songs from an early age or did that come? Yeah. I think I probably started to write about when I was about,
1: um, I think about 14, 15, they were terrible songs, you know, but they, but they were like, but it showed, I said, you know, at one point I wrote a really good song. It happened to be kind of a country song and, um, uh, and I realized, okay, you could probably get good at this. And then little by little, the inspirations of Stevie Wonder, Laura Nero, and, you know, all the you know, people, the great songwriters, Elton John, all those were influences uh, in me as a young boy, you know. So I started to really get into, I really, re- I realized that in order to really do this, you've got to be a good songwriter. I mean, it's good to have a good voice and a unique voice, But uh, the songs are really key to making things happen.
0: Right, right. Do you remember the names of any of your early songs?
1: Lady of Mine was the good one I wrote. Uh, I saw the doctor as he cried. It was about an abortion. Uh, It was about a doctor that was doing illegal (laughs) abortion. I mean, this is like, you know, not quite the love song you'd expect out of me. (laughs) Right. but, uh, but, yeah, I was writing these kind of daft kind of – but they were pretty good. I mean, I always thought I saw The Doctor would be a great Joe Cocker <laughs> song because it almost had, like, got me a ticket for an airplane kind of vibe to it. But, <laughs> but the lyrics were a bit daft. Right, but, right. Uh, but, I mean, but, uh, you- but, yeah, I mean, it was great. You know, uh, 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 I certainly – I grew pretty quickly as a songwriter. Once I started to really hone in, And it was great having a guitar and and a piano to go back and forth between those two instruments
0: to to play. Right. To to write on, rather. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. I presume because it's just easier to put it together on a piano or guitar. And is there a difference? Do you approach different songs at piano? Is there a particular type of song? Do you... Stuff. Yeah.
1: And, uh, it, 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 and you know, so it's interesting you bring that up because sometimes I'll start it on a piano and I go, oh, this has got a, this has really got a great vibe. And I probably wouldn't have written the song on the piano, but then it, but it, it had I not been at the piano. But then that song turns into, hold on, go over and make it more of a guitar song. And I, you know, that's, and vice versa. So that's happened as well. So what was the piano song turns into more of a guitar song than, than the opposite.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. Now, one of the, we're talking about early songs, the song Is That You was picked up by Kiss. How did that yeah. come about?
1: Well, the, <laughs> uh, I was, their producer, a guy named Vinny Poncia, who was a pretty big producer back then, um, wanted to produce my first album and um he came to i was living in la which i now live in i went i kept going back in new york forward to new york for the longest time li- you know, living wise but he at the time came out and um i as producers do they wanted me to run he wanted me to run down all the songs that i was considered that i was c- considering you know just everything and so mm. i did and i played that one and um I said, I really don't feel right about that song for myself because it just seemed it didn't quite fit with everything else I was doing at the time, you know. I was kind of writing an ACDC song at that time, you know, just to see if that would work for me. I said, what I called it, my ACDC song. But anyway, he said, would you mind if I took it and played it for Kiss? They they need a, a, a single for this album. I'm going like, that was odd because they write their own songs, you know. Why would they want? An, why would they now want an outside song? He said, "Let me, if you don't mind, I'd like to take the demo and play it for them." Well, they, he did, and they loved it, and the record label loved it, and it was just—it um, was on the Unmasked album. And the rest—I mean, I remember getting a call on my answer machine saying from Gene and Paul, saying, "Man, thank you so much for the song, and um, we love it here." And they were playing the track in the backman. <laughs> <laughs> So that was quite that was that was my first I think that might have been my first ever um, song cover placement maybe I think there was a Travaris the, the RB group did a song that I did for a movie called Defiance one of those anyway doesn't right.
0: matter right right and can, when did you move to Hollywood and start doing films well I came
1: out here and um, in the early 80s, and um, I had been here before, and I had already made a record before with a producer named James William Garcia, who was a producer of Chicago. So I made this album. I was really young at the time, but it was just very – it just didn't come out the way I wanted it to. It was very slick and polished, and I got out of that deal and basically, you know, came out here to get away from it all from, uh, you know, the whole production agreement I have with him. And um, I just started to, you know, um, make connections, if you will, and um, got a manager who basically brought this guy, Jerry Bruckheimer, down to see me perform a, a song, uh, to perform a show. He was looking for somebody to write a song for the, this movie he was producing called Defiance. And, um So I wrote a main song for that film, and then he said, I love it, Uh, write me four more songs for the movie. And I'm going, wow, this is good. But he wanted something that was like Springsteen, Bob seger and I sort of made, on the demos, I made my voice sound like that to get the point across, right? So I kept wondering, well, who's going to be singing these songs? It's probably not going to get Bruce, because Bruce wasn't doing movies or anything of that sort at that time. And... I didn't know who I, I, and so I got the approval and to on all four songs, I guess five. And I said, Jerry, I said, who's, I need to know who's going to sing this. Cause got to put the right keys together. He says, you're, you're singing. Them. And I'm going like, what? I, I, he said, no, I, you're the voice of this film. And I'm going like, mate, that's not really my voice. i was just kind of putting it on to get the point across. And he says, well, it's a good put on, you're doing it. And uh, it, it was really mad. I, I really, it, I, I can't, I was beside myself. Sure. So that was the first film I did. And then that led to, you know, Fast Times at Richmond High and a bunch of other 80s films. And I got really, yeah, kind of got my foot in the door with that film.
0: What's your favorite part of the whole process? Is it when you first sit down at the keyboard and it just, you know, you work your way through actually creating the song. Then, of course, you're, if you're singing it, you're going to be recording it, getting in the studio, mixing, producing, etc. Do you have a f- particular favorite part of the process or do you just love the lot?
1: Yeah, there's no one thing really. You know, it's, um, um, I tell you, my most dreadful part is, is putting my vocals on because I'm so hard on myself, and just want it to come out naturally, and it just, um, and eventually gets there. I don't like belaboring over things, meaning like a vocal, especially. Mm -hmm. You know, production stuff on a record, you want to make it, you know, right and real, but um, yeah, there's no one particular thing that, I mean, I do like the initial stages of coming up with a good song, I mean, that's always when you know it's really good and there's no denying to yourself that you wrote a good song. There's no better feeling than that. Right. It's when you get down with, um, yeah, it's the process in which it goes through. There's so many, obviously, arrangement and all that kind of stuff comes into play. I'm working on a new album right now. I mean, just um, I've been taking my time with it. Just writing. I mean, I've written so many pieces over the pandemic period and then. You find these gems. It's just like, oh my God, this is really working. And um, so, whatever an album is these days, I've been putting out a few songs. You know, making videos here, just kind of get, you know keeping my time occupied with being productive and putting this, writing a song,
0: mm-hmm.
1: putting a video together. I did this song last a couple of weeks ago called "Looking for a New York Clue," which is a my ode to New York and love affairs, which is kind of a Valentine's song. So yeah it's been good, you know, just to be right. able to uh, you know certainly is not as much as it could be a dull moment during this past past year oh, yeah. and um I've kept myself quite busy and um starting another musical actually, so that's cool oh,
0: good well we'll we'll co- kind of come back to that if we may because I have to say there is something I, I do actually have a prop because this is the album I used to I don't know, can you see this if I possibly not? because it's um, i don't think so it looks so like it's lost
1: boys though, it is the it? Lost
0: boys it's I, can see, I can
1: see the, i can see that uh,
0: yes. <laughs> i can see the font i, going I, on. I will put i'll put this. this is always i don't oh there we are if i hold it there in front of me and don't put oh, it there you go the, there you go the green screen yeah, yeah. now we can see it because this is lovely i literally lift this lifted this off the shelf of albums downstairs and just thought yeah Cause of course I used to listen to this and cry little sister was the track that I always wanted to listen to. And of course this is on vinyl. So you can't, you know, unless you actually literally pick the needle off the album and then put it back to the beginning of that particular track. What a lovely feeling that used to be.
1: (laughs) I was two when I was doing that. No, just joking. But, um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it's um it's quite a story. You know, I mean, at that point I'd probably done music for about thirteen or fourteen, maybe more films. But I always got to see the film, you know, watch mm. it to get a vibe for it and see how it works see what to write for the film. Let that be, you know, anything from *Fast Time to Regime on High to all the right moves, this one and that one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um you know, or they would have something tempting of some movie, you know, they would have a, a what's called a temp track, something like, that. Right. I, I remember all the right moves had little red Corvette in, you know, that film, it was Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. And, um, so I wrote, so, you know, that's a great song. So they came to me, can you replace, can you get the vibe of this? And I came up with something and, um, it's had a bit of a Prince vibe to it, but, um, yeah. And it went, worked well. And so do, do, it, my point being is you always had some kind of direction by the temp in there with lost boys. There was no temping. In fact, Joel Schumacher who was already a fan of my work, got in touch with me early on and asked if I would be interested in writing a theme song for his film. And I said, I said, well, what is it? It's always a vampire movie. And it's, you know, we're really taking it to a whole other level. And, um, and I respected his work at that point. I knew very well his history uh, of the few things he had done, you know, like he wrote Car Wash and what have you, but he was talented. And uh, I was living. I was then living in New York. So they sent me on a script because he said, maybe you'll get a vibe. You know, I said, well, can I look at it? He said, well, we're filming right now. And uh, so I basically... I uh, read the script, thought it was brilliant, and got up the next day and started to write something because I was inspired by what that was and what was going on in my own life at the time. And um, started writing it, and then went up to my studio and finished it and basically uh, started writing it, putting a demo together, and then sent it on to him. Uh, he was in Santa Cruz at the time making the film. And um, he just, was enamored by the demo. And I remember him ringing me one morning just saying, can't believe that you've not seen a piece of footage, and this is, this. I'm playing the song on the set, on repeat, it's that good. And I'm going like, really? Because I thought to myself, I liked it, but I did, I, it, part of me thought like, well it's not really a vampire-y kind of thing that one would expect, but I just thought, he did say, write what you feel. <laughs> And there's no temp track here to sort of emulate or whatever. So I um, did just that and um, then went back and obviously re-recorded it. But I stayed very true to what demo, the demo that I did make and the feel of everything. But uh, I never would have thought in a million years that it would go on to have the life that it's had. And, you know, even separate from the film, it's, um, I mean, it's been covered by... M you sampled a m- sampled me, and Marilyn Manson did a version of a couple of years ago. I mean, it just goes on, and it's it's been in besides Lost Boys, which is what it's really attached to. It, it's gone on to have its own life, you know, with fans of mine, and um, which I got a lot of fans because of that song. But um, yeah, I sometimes have to tell people you, they've never seen the film, but they're fat they love the song you should go see it. <laughs> you need to really see the film to get the full effect
0: and the origin of it really right are you a fan of horror films i do i i, I, I like
1: things that are i like things that are, make you think or you know that aren't just your uh, yeah the psychological ones yeah um i i, I, I i'm i I like being frightened by the more psychological ones. When it's just like, you know, kind of know what's going to happen. Not really bothered with it. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of things. Uh, what was the one that was a big franchise? But I can't remember the name
0: right now. Psychological horror slasher kind of thing. Oh come on, help me out! <laughs> um, I, I don't know. The immediate one I'm thinking of is insidious, but I'm not sure if that's the insidious way. Insidious is one, but that's not what I'm thinking of. It'll no. come. It'll come. It'll come. yeah. Probably I haven't had a coffee <laughs> yet. <laughs> I was going to say it's usually about three o'clock in the morning when you're trying to get to sleep. I thought oh yeah, always, always. Okay. Yeah. So you were talking about um, the fact that you know, you've been you've mentioned very early on about doing a musical. Based on the Lost Boys, yeah. Um, in fact, you, you were talking, you were telling me about it when we met a couple of years ago. So, this has now been released as an album.
1: Yeah, the album. We actually went ahead and put the, you know, the album out um, in advance. I mean, this musical was. I mean, it was still going through a lot of things. Obviously, musicals are far different thing than film. They take forever to get mm-hmm. done uh, to get made and. It's just so many different kind of moving parts with the theatre world, as you probably well know. Mm, yeah, and yeah. Um, but it's um, I started writing it about five, six years ago, and I just sort of was on the fence about. Well, just you know, vampire you know stories don't really work; have not worked that successfully on the stage. But I said, you know, with Lost Boys, if you keep the fun in there and you keep and give them something that's a backstory and how they all came together, something unique and keep to the story. Um, I think there might be something there. And, um, so that's what I kept on doing. And, uh, with the writing of the book and, um, that's what the term is in a musical. People always call it a script, but it's a book. It's a book, as you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we kept moving forward with it. And then uh, all of a sudden, this thing called a pandemic came along and it prevented anything from happening. Yeah. So we kind of a, we were turning some good corners, have a, some very good solid producers back in New York. And um, yeah, so we, it's kind of don't know. I mean, nobody's backed out. So it's just um, a matter of when this can all happen again. It, I mean, from what I understand is 2023, realistically. So um, but you know that'll come soon yes. you know. <laughs> and that's the thing. I say, oh 2023 it seems ages away, but it's really as fast as things go by these days, right?
0: Right, right. So but you you talk about the book, which as you say, some people may think of as the script, i.e. the the story and the bits in between the songs, assuming it's not an opera. So you're, you're responsible for the music, the lyrics and the book Yeah mm. well, what a challenge. It nearly killed me. I honestly I'm not telling.
1: I went to the UK uh, I toured last year in the UK whether um, uh, I'm sorry 2019 in October, yeah. and then I got approached by these guys to documentary filmmakers to make a story of my life a story of my career and to tie it in with the uh with the lost boys uh, musical and i thought what it they came up with some really clever um ideas they, were com- they have a company called jib jab productions and really and i thought wow this is good and i thought about it and we've gotten so long story short i went back over in february to start shooting the documentary and we did a live show in, in edinburgh oh not in edinburgh but what was it in not what was the town we played in? I can't remember right now. Bathgate? No, maybe. Yeah, I think it was Bathgate. Right. And um, played in this really cool old theatre. Had a packed out house, and you know they filmed it live. And then they would, we were doing interviews. And I got ill. I thought you know, in COVID. This was February, late February, and Ooh. it was in. It was starting to happen in London. But I got really ill, and it took me. And I kept pushing it. I was ill when I was performing. I mean, literally, I could feel something. I was in hitting high notes. I could feel my something on my lungs just pounding. It just it was horrible. It was severe, and I can I had fever, and I, I definitely overdid it. And um, went back to London and just stayed at you know my dear friend' um, at, at house in Chiswick, and um, and then. Went back to. Um, I had stopped off in New York going to England at the time. <clears throat> went back, and uh, went back to LA. Got checked out, and I was suffering from exhaustion, as they said, because they checked it. It was early days of detecting of 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 the virus. So, mm. and I did an antibody test. It didn't show up there. It, likely, I didn't have it. But I was. But I had something that was causing me to you know really in a bad way, and it's. Kind of, you know, went on for a while, off and on, and I uh, was getting very kind of, kind of effect- affected. Um, and I'm tip top shape. I'd had every test known to man. I mean, literally, MRI on the brain, the, the neck, the spine, blood tests, you know, they, they all came back. It just, clear and thank god for that but it just was but you know yeah slowly came out of it and it's been a rough road coming back i know this is the first time i've actually talked about it in an interview but um but um yeah um i thank god i'm functioning you know right. I what that it, it, I, other than being ill for the time i was but yeah so the motor skills are working
0: oh. Well yeah that's yeah that's was the real, one of the real fears so were they, oh, able, yeah. were they able to get enough footage to get the bulk of they it they got some point? yeah getting back to the mm. showbiz talk <laughs>
1: sorry <laughs> <laughs> i've sought off with my help. but uh, but it's uh, we'll talk about yeah but home. it's uh, you know they did get some you know certainly not enough to make a documentary right. the, the whole right. intent was that we were coming over here in april to do interviews with the likes of you know well Joel Schumacher, who passed on, and uh, during this last year, unfortunately, but with many different people. I mean, people mm. Roger Dalt. They were set to do interviews with Roger Daltrey and Robert Plant and various other people I've worked with, and a series of film, you know, actors and you know, musicians and mm. people I work with here. I mean, it wasn't like interviewing me the whole time, but it was. Uh, right. But they had a whole a whole plan, which obviously got. Taken off the table, but for, the, for yeah. the time
0: being, right, right. Now, so kind of like Lost Boys is kind of on hold at the moment. Are you? Have you been working on any other musicals?
1: I have actually. My friend and uh, Paul Brooks, who I worked on a film called Chasing Amy years ago with, um, he was the producer of that film. He went on to produce My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Pitch Perfect, One, Two, Three, and Four, right. whenever it happens, and. Um, You know, he said, you should should put something together, put a musical together, let me have a, you know, bring me something. So this was about a year ago. I mean, just when COVID, when the whole pandemic started, I just thought, can't be bothered doing another musical. But about three months went by and I had this idea about pen pals in the 80s. And three different high schools, one being in London, one being in New York, and one being in LA, and how 16 characters all connect through pen pals. They all, you know, and it's it's a a very interesting sort of way in which they connect, which I can't get into right now. Sure. But I thought this could be a cool idea. Take a decade of the 80s in high school and just basically throw, put it in the putting apart pot breakfast club 16 candles you know pretty and pink fast times at richmond high and just put a put like something original together that's not based on those but that but how's that feel and i always thought and i just I, i'm this so I, I put a pitch together for Paul and over to over zoom because he's in london and he loved it and he said what are you calling it and i said I don't know, don't you forget about me. And that's how to and at the moment, literally on that Zoom call, that's when I came up with the title because I thought that's such a brilliant title. And I would use, and he said, Are you going to use that song? And I said, Yeah, I think so. And the rest will be original sort of material, things that are a bit like police or depeche mode, or things that of of that era of the eight of that decade. So it's um It's ongoing, and I did bring in a co-writer, a British guy named, quite clever, Charlie Watson, to do to work with me on it, And uh, because I just didn't want to go through doing a whole thing again on my own, and Paul thought it was a good idea to have a co-writer
0: on this, because I'm sitting up doing all the music and lyrics, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, no, having somebody else to work with and bounce ideas. It sounds really, really fun, I think. um there's a TV series over here at the moment called "It's a Sin," which is all about drama students and young yeah, people in the nineties. I've not seen it. It's very it's just, good. Oh, cool! I've got to check it out then. What's yeah. it on? It's on. I've got HBO at the back of my. On the UK, it's in the UK. It's on Channel Four. Okay, well, I've got HBO. It's one of those three-letter acronyms, but I think it's an a- HBO production in the US. Mm. It's definitely yeah, a joint, right. pro- joint production, um, and highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Really fascinating thing. But I think right. Well, I've, I've definitely I've I've seen bits of what it is, and I thought to
1: myself, I was like, "This looks clever. I've got to take a yeah. take a
0: look at this." Yeah. Well, I, I just it. think. It, well, I think I mean that you know talking about the eighties, so much happened. In the 1980s, particularly to young people, there is so many fascinating films, albums, tra- you know, styles of music, and you know, it's an exciting time. Well, it, you know, I look at the 80s as comfort food to a time that we're in now. Uh, you
1: know, not just a pandemic time, but where we've come to so far. People go back to that decade because it's it's like what were it's like what the 50s were to you know the 70s. You know what I mean? It was yeah. a as much as, but I think the eighties is almost there was a sense of, of of letting things go and and freedom and just a sort of where punk existed and punk turned into new wave and 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 the films that were made. It was such an incredible amount of creativity that came out of that period, and you know, it just and and there was a sense of you know high school students and their and. Their mind's been set free, mm. not necessarily by drugs. Well, a little bit of that, too. But there's a yeah. sense of it being, you know, finding oneself. And the characters that I have in this all have different stories. I mean, I've got, like, a transgender Vietnamese guy. And then I've got, like, a, a girl that's an incredible desi- designer, uh, you know, hair designer, and her mom's a, a prostitute. That's how they keep life together. And, you know, but they're all, they, and they all connect at some point. And I've got like, a, you know, a techie, you know, this girl, it's incredible. She's black and she's a tech, you know, and then of course, and she doesn't, she's brilliant. And she meets, she mates with a pen pals with a guy in New York, who's like this Wall Streety wannabe in his high school years. But he figures out how to get her connected to Silicon Valley and then, the hooker mom hooks up, you know, it's like this all these effects of and you're going through the 80s and the whole decade and you see how they all either succeed or fail mm. at the end of it. But nobody really fails because right. they've learned a lot by the 80s. Right. So I'm really happy, pleased of what this where this is going. And it's it's great having a collaborator because you know, he lets me do, he's, you know, as Paul was saying. He's going to let you do your freedom thing, and then he's going to be able to, you know, give you so, uh, be a sounding board, and also bring things. He's all, he's he, he's already brought a lot to the table on it. So right. we're moving at a pretty quick speed with it, which I'm pleased. Right. So um, yeah, why not have a couple of things up on Broadway and the West End? I ain't got that much time. <laughs> Well, and as long are. as it takes, to, I mean, bloody hell! I mean, as long as it takes to get a, uh, you know, a theatre musical production up. I mean, but at least you know, I'll be dead and gone, and hopefully they'll last. They'll outlast me.
0: Well, okay, but hopefully, again, not too long, and hopefully, you know, you're going to be there for the thousandth performance of these things, because you know, I like. I <laughs> <laughs>
1: You never but know. I'll be in good shape all this working out and everything looking after myself. That's been, I think that's really definitely kept me, kept right. me right. in mental good shape anyway. Right. Right. As well as physical.
0: Uh, and one of the other things, there's a couple of other things I wanted to move on to one of which was an album you released called full circle of mad years.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. How did that? My greatest hits. Yeah. My greatest (laughs) non-hits, as I call it. And I I could not, uh, it was interesting. Why did you just call your greatest hits? I said, because they weren't all hits. They were like songs that were very popular to certain people that, you know, from this movie or that movie or this TV show or, you know, uh, my original demo of Kiss and then Carly Simon original, you know, it's a. Mishmash of so many different things that I did, and so I thought, like, well, those were mad years, and you know, full circle. And right. um, I just thought, full circle of mad years, and um, uh, it was, I it's actually done real, a lot of streaming on uh, so many different songs from you know, different. I mean, I'm amazed at how many of the TV shows got. <clears throat> Heavy-duty streaming because none of these songs were ever released, with the exception of a few. My song "Half" from the my first G-Tom Mac album in 2000 was in was featured in Scrubs, the TV show, and it, right. the next following two days, when iTunes was on, uh, when iTunes was uh, pretty heavily on. Sorry, I'm just kind of looking around here because it looks like my battery's going low ah. on this thing. Uh, but the, um, you know, sorry for this because my, my computer's down and it's, it's, I don't want to get into it. But, um, but, um, but yeah, where were we?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Full, uh, full Circle of Mad years. Oh, yeah, right.
1: So, it's, really it, yeah, it's interesting just how, you know, you've never thought that people would pay that much attention to a song just playing uh, kind of in the back- background or whatever, but it's, they do. And, there, and there's been many requests for these songs over the years. And so I just decided to put it out.
0: Right. You know. it's really And there's
1: a original demo of Cry Little Sisters actually on it as well.
0: Which is fascinating wow. because li- to listen to that it's just like okay now I, yeah I get I get oh, yeah, took it and you it's interesting to compare to the fully fledged version Yeah yeah that you get you get in the in the film. Right exactly. Now you can you, you have a wander around see if you can find a charger. <laughs> Yeah, to- I am having to wonder how I'm doing that I might have to go out to the car actually
1: oh this would be it's funny well, it, it, well, I find we're it. a great
0: view of your home it's like through the key I know <laughs> well you can have more of a view
1: as we go through
0: <laughs> as we go through the maze
1: and you can see me all lit up here and you can <laughs> see the back garden yeah hey, let's have a view of the back garden
0: oh wow
1: yeah you have to where
0: where are you right now I'm in Croydon. In South London. Oh yeah, I know a Yeah, so we've literally so just got one of my of car- what, one
1: of my characters actually, Robert is from South London, and um, he's um, he's a, an incredible athlete, and um, he meets he hook, uh, I don't get into, but he he hooks up with the they have a it's kind of he doesn't know his sexuality at this point, and. Right. Um, <laughs> that has nothing to do with being from South London, by the way. <laughs> or it could. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to do but, with um, the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But long story short, um, yeah, he's from South London. And I. some wonderful characters in Don't You Forget About Me. I'm so pleased that they're coming together so well. Right. Anyway, I want to plug in here for a bit, okay. see what we've got. Ah, sideways.
0: Well, if we go sideways, it's fine. Whichever's most comfortable yeah. for you. I was conscious you may be having to hold the, the phone in your hand while you're talking to me.
1: Yeah, well, it's listen, you got to do what you got to do, right?
0: Yeah. All right, we're good. We're good. So there we are. So that was full. So the other thing, you mentioned Billy Bob Thornton when we were chatting before. Yeah, he's show. been a
1: mate of mine for a while. And
0: we've we started to just sort of
1: conceptualize some songs and ideas, um, over the pandemic time and, um, lovely guy, great singer. I mean, he's got such an authentic sounding singing voice and a great writer. And we've been, you know, kind of toying around, you know, I have a friend of mine who's named Snuffy Walden. He's a composer and who I've known literally probably when I first came over to America, he's a Texas boy. He's, he does the music to the West swing he does okay. the music too. So many, you know, he, um, so many films, and you know, he's quite. But he's an amazing guitar. What he was was, a, he was in a band in the UK uh, that he went over, and um, I can't remember the name of the band right now. But they, he was looked as the next Jimmy Page. I mean, he had that those kind of guitar skills. So, um, I introduced him to Billy. And then I got, you know, I was on the phone with Roger Daltrey. So we might just do, we're talking about when we can go out and play. The four of us go out and, you know, have a go and do some gigs live. So we've been writing some new songs for that. We've all been kind of, you know, I collaborate with Billy and Roger. And, uh, you know, I I wrote and produced Roger Daltrey's solo album, Rocks in the Head, back in 1992. And that was a really um, fun Project to do, and Roger B and I became very good mates as a result of that. Um, And um, so, yeah, we just kind of tossing this idea around. It'd be kind of a fun thing to go out and do some dates, the four of us together, and um, mixing the film and music thing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that'd be an (laughs) extraordinary. Okay, well, um, just before we finish entirely, I've just got some set questions. Um, I'd like to ask you if I may. And the idea is you're going to be going on a very long voyage, voyage, and it's just choosing things that you would take with you in terms of entertainment. So if I had to ask you to narrow down films to one film that you couldn't imagine doing a long voyage without, what film would you take? Ooh, that's a tough one.
1: Well... I know this is kind of, I, I honestly got to say, one of my favorite films is Catch Me If You Can. And, and I'll tell you why. I can watch that film over and over, and the performances are so bloody good in that movie that that's, they're just inspiring. I mean, Christopher Walken is probably one of his best roles from an emotional point of view and just being so beyond his Christopher Walken you know, that you expect him to be. And Leo is amazing. Just, uh, it's just got so much depth to it. And I I, I always keep thinking, God, it kind of seems like an overlooked film. And you don't expect Steven Spielberg to have, you know, really not come in. He's brilliant. But there's, it was definitely off the beaten path for him, in a way, to make a film like that. So that would, def- I, I think, you know, obviously Goodfellas, which I've, watch it a zillion times. Brilliant. And, you know, probably take the, if I've only allowed one, I'll take, catch me if you can, because I do love those performances. Okay. And uh, what's the next one? What's the next one? Book. A book. Oh man. Now you really, (laughs) I guess the road less traveled. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're going on a long journey, you're going to really need some, something to keep you solid. And I remember reading that book years ago, my girlfriend back in the day, um, she, um, you know, we were kind of going through something. She said, you know, this is a good life thing for you. And I remember reading, I, I went on holiday to Cape Cod and we were kind of like, are we going to be together or not? And that book straightened me out. So I figured, I said to myself, well, this is a good thing to take on a journey. Anytime you are going through something in life, but so anyway, I'll go with that. I'm not going to go with the heavier books and I could be, oh boy, he's a real literary guy, isn't he? <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to do that. No.
0: I'm going to go with the sort of like keep life straight. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. What? A, now this is going to be really tough. What about an album?
1: That is a really tough one. Oh my God. Hmm, an album. Oh my God. I don't know. It's, um, I think Elton John's Madman Across the Water, it just comes to mind. You know, there's so many brilliant songs on that song that I kind of like every once in a while. I don't remember Razorface or whatever that song was. Just certain things that just were on that album that were just so eclectic. And I'm just right at the top of my head. It just, I mean... I love Laura Nero's "Eli and the Thirteen Confession." You know that album. I don't. It's, I, it's very It's an album that inspired everybody, from Elton John uh, to to Todd Rundgren to you know even people of, of you know contemporary people of today. You know Cole, Chris Martin and, and, and of Coldplay and right. I mean. Yeah, you Paul Stanley, just it's one of those albums, the quintessential song singer-songwriter album. And she was brilliant. She was a songwriter who died. She died about fifteen years ago. She wrote songs that the Fifth Dimension did back in the day. She was 18 years old writing these inc- and When I Die, and you know, Wedding Bell Blues and all these incredible songs. Um, you know, going down to Stony End, uh, what Barbara Starson did. She had a lot of covers. Uh, I mean, people covered her songs uh, from that album and others. So, right. boy, it's tough. It's c- too bad I, I can't take two. I think I'd go with Mad Man Across the Water just because it's always, it's, again, it's like Catch Me If You Can. There's always some bits that you can't really, you know, that you find. And I want to be, a. if you're going <laughs> to be viewing something over and over again and listening, it better have something to show you something new every time you listen right. to it, Right,
0: right. I have to admit, I'm completely unfamiliar with that one. Don't know, but I will go and check that one out now. That sounds fascinating. What the Laura Neera one? The Laura, actually, even the John Elton John Madman across the water. I don't know how I completely missed that one, but yeah, well, know. it had it had um, Tiny Dancer on it, and um,
1: ah, right, that was the hit, and right. the rest of it was just very adventurous. Leave on. It was a great song. I mean, it was a very eclectic album. It wasn't right. like they were like, oh, Elton John, the hits. Right. It was just one um, – yeah, I think Tiny Dancer was the only right. um, single off that album. Right. So right. it's marvelous uh, orchestration by Paul Buckmaster.
0: Right. And, uh, yeah, fantastic. Okay. What about a favorite food or beverage? Food or beverage?
1: Hmm. Oh God! Uh, let's see when I get back on meat when I go on this journey. <laughs> uh, I used to love. I used to love a good lamb, and I make it very well. Uh, let's see. God, the food thing is—I'm uh, very fussy. Um, I'm not quite vegan, but I'm—you know—I don't eat dairy oh, yeah. and stuff. Boy, I tell you, I don't know. Probably. Well, if I am on a voyage, I am I like, mind this voyage on the water. Yeah. Okay, well, I certainly wouldn't have pr- tr- trouble catching a good halibut now, and then, right? right. <laughs> so I, I do make a good halibut, so I'll go with my halibut and, um, and mixed rice and um, sautéed broccoli and spinach. How about Ooh. that?
0: Oh, that sounds very. nice. <laughs> you can't live on that. So, but well, <laughs> you, you could. If that's, you, if that's all you
1: got. You got. A, you got no other choice. <laughs> well, and my drink. On. My drink will be Grey Goose vodka. If okay. I can bring my martini shaker, I'll do that as well.
0: Right, right, right. What about a piece of visual art, a painting? Visual a art. art. Oh my god! Statue, uh, uh... Well, I'm a big Van Gogh
1: uh, fan. Uh, I think I'd like you, hmm. got anything, you know, starry, starry night. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Yeah. So I, maybe uh maybe uh, that one would it's very traditional, but when you're on a journey like that, I think there's a comfort it's
0: almost like a comfort piece of art, yeah, isn't it? But also I think you can write as McLean did, obviously, but, um, you know, you, you can write stories in your head about yeah. exactly what's going on in that yeah. village and that sky and, and so on. Yeah, exactly. What about, and finally, what about luxury? And, you know, A just, luxury? Yeah.
1: I forgot what that's all about. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what luxury it is. <laughs> <laughs> Man, too. I haven't had, uh, you know, I've been on my own here, you know, so it's been. Um, oh, my God. There's no shagging going on, so uh let's see that would be an Aussie line uh <laughs> my dear mate from Birmingham um let's see <laughs> you said it's amazing to be celibate this long, isn't it? i mean i mean i I mean, when you're on your own, you really there's so much we take for granted, and that's what's incredible about this time, but you know, I've embraced so much during this period, you know, and um I've found myself helping others as I've always done, but a lot more, and just feeling others, you know. Um, but as far as a luxury feeling people's pain or whatever, mm. I, I know that <clears throat> sounds a bit cliche, but I really, it does me good to just, you know, I've never been about me anyway. Uh, I've always been a giving person. But there's something about feeling people and feeling their, their woes and the depths of their, you know, tragedies, if you will, people Dying on them and mm, um mm. so it, it it's a it's an incredible time to really know, find to see who what you're made of, you know what I mean yeah, so yeah. as far as the luxury for myself, I'd just love to get me a little bungalow in Barbados. Uh, on this voyage can we land
0: there yeah absolutely absolutely Let's land in Barbados. i think we should be you know we should be able to create the technology that we can actually rather than just a zoom meeting you can actually have fully three-dimensional completely safe you know suddenly you've got people there in your life lo- you know you can just sit and chat yeah. too well it, it's around the corner oops yeah. it's around the corner so
1: um, <laughs> anything is possible these days. I mean, it's like it reminds me of the Joaquin Phoenix film and Scarlett Johansson's Her. Have you seen that film? I haven't, no. Fascinating. It's just about him falling in love with a voice that he just dials up. Oh, yeah. And he wants to meet the voice. And they, it's such an incredible romantic longing Longing. that's impossible to really achieve, but it's just well-written. And, yeah. Good one. Um, Check it out sometime. I
0: will, I will do. I've got lots to listen to and watch, which is which is what I love about doing these interviews because I always come away knowing so much more. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet things. you do. Jared, thank you so much for taking some time and you know dealing with holding cameras and so on. Um, I know it's again. all right. It gives really? my arms are a bit of a workout <laughs> in a strange way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll let you get on with the rest of the day, and um, thank you very much again. Uh, Thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure.
1: Good. Good. Look after yourself. Stay Um, well.
0: Thank you again to G. Tom Mack. What a gentleman. And thank you for joining us today. Until next time, be safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Jared Friedrich, and Amanda Rome West Composer Kevin MacLeod Copyright Tea Time Productions